The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. Many of disciples, many of Jesus' disciples who were listening said, This saying is hard. Who can accept it? Since Jesus knew that his disciples were murmuring about this, he said to them, Does this shock you? What if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit that gives life, while the flesh is of no avail. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life, but there are some of you who do not believe. Jesus knew from the beginning the ones who would not believe, and the one who would betray him. And he said, For this reason I have told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by my Father. As a result of this, many of his disciples returned to their former way of life and no longer accompanied him. Jesus then said to the twelve, Do you also want to leave? Simon Peter answered him, Master, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and are convinced that you are the Holy One of God. The Gospel of the Lord. We celebrate this 21st Sunday in Ordinary Time. Uh, the monthly St. Charbel Healing Mass will be held uh, tomorrow night at 6 p.m. here in the church. Father Alex Harb will be the celebrant. Our catechism classes will begin on Tuesday, September the 7th. Uh, for details on how to register your child, uh, please see today's bulletin. The bulletin also includes a little update uh, about our cafeteria roof uh, replacement project, which I will give you an update here verbally. Uh, so, as you said, we, uh, of course, are moving, moving towards the, the roof, uh, getting the roof on the cafeteria uh, replaced because it's, it's leaking, uh, and that's obviously not a good thing. Uh, we have all the, all the documents are signed. Uh, we have approval from the diocese. The loan is waiting for us to take it whenever we are ready. Uh, and so we met with uh, all, the, all the various personages uh, who are part of the project for our pre-construction meeting uh, a week ago Tuesday and uh, found, as most people uh, are finding, uh, that when you are building a, uh, doing a construction project these days, uh, supply is high and demand is, or uh, supply is low and demand is high. This is uh, exactly what we found. The construction company told us that the plans uh, that we have to make our flat roof, which collects water, into a sloped roof, which removes it from the roof, um, the, the supplies and materials necessary to do that will likely be available for us in February, which is a lot sooner or a lot farther off than we expected. Uh, we knew there might be a little delay, but we figured we could get started and they would come uh, a few weeks late. Uh, we didn't anticipate it being six months late. Uh, and so uh, we are ready to go whenever the project materials are ready to go. Uh, so if the Lord I know likes particular petitions, so if you want to pray for a particular intention of uh, materials for our roof being ready um, sooner rather than later, so that we can begin a process of, uh, of repairing or replacing our roof uh, for the cafeteria, it would be a wonderful, a wonderful blessing to do so. 
in the meantime, while uh, we're not just going to kind of sit around uh, twiddling our thumbs, of course, there was some interior work that needed to happen along with it, and we'll be getting, uh, getting on with that as well as, a, as also a, a few other kind of maintenance items around the grounds that were of, of less importance, uh, but which now we actually can simply devote the time uh, to them. So, uh, there's, like I said, that's basically the information in the bulletin. If you have questions or anything else, feel free to contact me at the parish office. It's not an uncommon thing for a priest to, uh, to receive questions, and likely many of you have had them, or discussed them with other people, of things of essentially what is the role of emotions in the spiritual life. Sometimes we can wrestle with the fact that we think we've forgiven somebody or we've tried to forgive them, but sometimes when we see them, we don't necessarily feel like we've forgiven them. Or sometimes whenever we go to pray, we don't really feel our prayer like we might have in the past. We don't have that, that emotional sense, uh, maybe at, at communion time or encountering another person. Even one's own love for, for family and friends can seem to, to be less intense at various moments in one's life. And what does this mean for us? These questions can arise. And so they often will kind of essentially hit on that question of, of what does this mean? What do I do with this, spiritually speaking? How do I respond? And in so many ways, the, the church reflects upon this thing, this fact of our emotions, which are indeed given to us by God, but they are not the thing that is to determine the actions of our life entirely. Rather, they are very often uh, simply sort of a, a raising of the hand that, that the mind or the body or the, the heart and whatever, whatever faculty is kind of uh, running the show at the time, I guess. Um, essentially, it's kind of raising the hand and saying, hey, hey, something needs to be attended to here. When we are when we are upset, when we are when we are uh, when we don't have feelings of of of, of gratitude or of, of uh, emotional love or these kinds of things, sometimes they are simply a reminder to us that something needs to be tended to. And very often, that something that needs to be tended to is a spiritual matter. It's an important thing for us. Our emotions give us a certain amount of input, but it is our will that is the one ultimately that has to resolve to do something. If we simply follow our hearts, we can find, find ourselves in all kinds of weird and unnecessarily difficult places. Because anyone knows that our emotions can be rather fickle. Things can be going really well, and someone cuts you off in the street, and off you go, getting all upset about things, bent out of shape. And you kind of you know, get, a, get a few blocks down the road, and things kind of say, okay, like, all right. We're back at peace, things are good, and somebody else says something silly, and you get frustrated about that. And any number of things, and our emotions can be like a, a constant roller coaster, except it's not fun, right? Uh, you, see, you don't get to stand up your hands and wave in the air excited when things are going crazy in your life. You just get really frustrated or flustered or excited or whatever the, whatever the case may be. So, we don't simply follow our emotions however they happen to be. We decide. We choose. We take our emotions, we take the things that we understand by our, by our knowledge, we take the wisdom that God has given to us, and we make an act of the will when we decide something, we choose something, we resolve, and we press forward. This is what we hear echoed all throughout the readings this weekend, this, fact, this aspect of choosing. 
For Joshua, it's choosing what God wanted to serve. The people of Israel, as we often see throughout the Old Testament, uh, want to uh, just happen to, to, to worship whatever local God might be around. Uh, this is one of the things that, that we don't always understand because our world has um, kind of embraced Christendom, at least we're um, largely speaking. We kind of think in a Christian context, even if our culture more or less rejects it at this point. But we still think in this sense. But in the, in the ancient times, gods were a localized thing. This is why you had the God of the Ammonites, the God of the Elamites, the God of this group, the God of that group, the God of this place, and the God of that place. So wherever you happen to move, if you moved houses, if you, if you were relocated for whatever purpose, you just got a new God. It was, you know, who's the God here, right? Okay, I'll worship that one. Excellent. Thank you very much, right? It's, uh, you know, oftentimes in sacristies, you'll see a, a little plaque with the bishop's name. So if a visiting priest comes in, he knows the bishop's name to say it at mass, right? It's more or less like that in the ancient times. Who, who's the god here? Oh, plaque, Baal. Okay, we will worship Baal today. Excellent. Wonderful, right? And this was the, this was the foolishness. It showed the fickleness of the heart that the people were not resolved to follow our Lord. Rather, they just simply kind of went with whatever happened to be going on around them. They went with the flow. And it was Joshua, the one who brings them into the promised land, who says, it's time to choose. Choose today. Decide today whom you are going to serve. God of Israel, our God, the one true God, or the God where you happen to live right now. Who are you going to serve? Decide. For me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And the people responded with this. They acknowledge the fact, they contemplate the things that God has done. They remember what God has done for them in the past. And mindful of this, they say, far be it from us to be able to turn away from the Lord our God after all he's done. We will serve the Lord too. And they resolve to do so. Later we see they don't necessarily do it well. Because we're all human and more or less fail various times. But they do resolve to follow the Lord. It's a difficult thing also. Because if you are worshiping the God of a place that is not your God, if you're not worshiping the local God, you don't really fit in the culture. You, you can't be part of the community celebration. You can't be part of, you know, the Baal Sunday or whatever they might have to worship their foreign gods and the celebrations and the pagan rituals and festivals. You're left out of these things, so you don't really fit in. It was a difficult thing to choose not to worship the local God. And yet, the people are called to do so. The decision is simply put before them. Choose our God or a false God. St. Paul, writing to the Ephesians, reminds us of a similar choice that is made, particularly in married life. Here he's reminding us of this mutual subordination that is due husbands to wives, wives to husbands. Usually we don't like to hear the uh, wives be subordinate to your husbands. You know, usually anticipate a rending of garments or someone uh, you know, nudging somebody with a, an elbow, right? These kinds of things. But it's foolishness because the reality is that St. Paul, he, he says, you know, wives be subordinate to your husbands. But the husbands have a greater task of being subordinate in the same manner of loving their wives as Christ did. Namely, he died for him. Christ died for us on the cross. So husbands, if you think you're on the better end of things, you're fools. <laughs> your life is to die for your wife, to lay down your life for her. 
this mutual submission it, it's for both ways. It's not just simply the old Archie Bunker, you know, go get me a beer type of situation. That's foolishness, and that's, that's not exactly, not in any way, shape, or form what St. Paul is telling us. Rather, it's this mutual submission out of love for Christ. To be willing continuously to set aside one's own desires, one's own feeling, one's own plans, one's own intentions in a particular moment to love one's spouse. Again, it's not about the feelings of the moment. Many of you who are married, I presume, has woken up at some point and realized, I don't really like that person very much today. They're kind of bothersome to me. It's not scandalous, but there have been days where I would be, where I myself have thought, man, It'd be really nice to not be a priest today. I'm just do my own thing. Just go, you know, take whatever vacation I want. I can, you know, I can, you know, I'm limited to four weekends away a year, you know, by by church law, away from the parish. This is understandable. You know, people like to see me on Sundays, I guess, I presume. Right? But these restrictions sometimes can make us want to slough off things to do our own will. But in the face of this. We must also do as the people did with Joshua and remember all that the Lord has done. Remember all that we have committed ourselves to do and to follow suit. When that little quirk arises in one's beloved, you embrace it. You love them. When one's feelings arise, they are not necessarily the most positive. Acknowledge it, but love. Continue to place oneself before one's spouse. To place, one, to place, to place one's, uh, one's will, to place one's feelings, to place one's sentiments in a particular moment, to place them second, and allow the one's spouse to come first. These are the hard teachings of St. Paul, but they are possible. And the last thing that our blessed Lord shows to us today in the Gospel is the third place of choosing, of committing to something. And this thing is the committing particularly to the Eucharist. It's the conclusion of the five-week or so series of reflections on St. John's Gospel in chapter 6. Over recent weeks, we skipped last week, we missed a part last week because of the assumption trumping the Sunday celebration, so it seems kind of uh, jolting uh, to come back to it a little bit. But for the last five weeks, we have heard of the people going and following our blessed Lord, hearing his teachings and being delighted at his teachings. It feels good. He says such nice things. And then he works a miracle. He feeds 5,000 people. Wow. This is amazing. They're so enthralled with the man. They're so emotionally bound up that they want to make him a king. They want to just on the spot, just set up a, just set up a throne, anoint him with oil, make him king, and everyone is happy. It'll be the best day ever. They are thrilled, emotionally amped up. And then Jesus starts to say things that sound a little bit crazy. You have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. If you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, you don't have life in you. I am the bread that came down from heaven, and the bread that I give for eternal life is my flesh. And immediately, everyone's excited feelings, feelings of, of warmth and tenderness and joy, immediately go, ugh, what? The people of Israel knew you can't eat anything with the blood in it. There were no rare steaks in Israel. Everything was well done. You couldn't consume the blood. If you can't consume the blood of a bull, why on earth would you think you can consume the blood of a man? Much less 
eat his flesh. After all, they're not cannibals. What are these things that he is saying? And many of the people began to harden their hearts. And it says that many of his disciples went away that day and left him and no longer accompanied him. Important emphasis upon two words. Many. Not just a few. Many. Remember, there were 5,000 people that had been, that had been fed in the multiplication lows, and the majority of them were there with him. Many of them, crowds, simply wrap up their blanket and go home. They're done. And these were not just people who happened to show up that day. They weren't bystanders who were just kind of sitting along the, sitting along the streets and saw a crowd and said, let's go and see what's going on over here. These were his disciples, the ones who had been following him. These were people, you remember, who, who, had, who had left, who had, who had walked away from their homes, who had left behind food, who had left behind family, who had left behind friends, who had left behind all kinds of things. It's these people who simply walk away. Because our Lord says, if you do not eat my flesh and drink my blood, you do not have life. In other words... I'm giving you a hard teaching. And this is what the people say. These are hard things. These are hard things to understand. How is it they can say these things? He gives the hard teaching. And he lets them decide. Do you believe or not? Are you going to stay? Or are you going to go? This is exactly what he asked the twelve. The closest band around him, he looks to them and he says, are you going to go too? Everybody else is leaving. Decide. It's time. Peter's initial response doesn't seem to be a, a, a resounding act of faith. Right? He says, Lord, to whom shall we go? Where else are we going to go, Lord? It's, it's, it's not an overwhelming expression of, of, of certainty, right? Peter himself is wrestling with this, this fact of, I don't understand what you mean, Lord. I don't understand how we can't eat the blood of bulls and goats, or we can't consume the blood of bulls and goats, but you are requiring us to have eternal life, to have heaven. You are requiring us to eat your own blood, or drink your own blood, and eat your very flesh. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe they're convinced that you are the Holy One of God. Peter, in that split second, remembers all the things that he has seen our Lord do, all the things that he has said, that all of that has piled up to convince him and to convict him that I don't understand everything our Lord says, but based off of what I know of the man, I want to follow him no matter what he says. He's the Holy One of God, and even if I don't get it, even if I can't feel it, even if, even, even if I feel disgust in the face of it, I know I need to follow Him. And Peter responds in the plural. We, we have come to believe and are convinced. He speaks on behalf of the apostles, and none of the others object, right? Indeed, Peter the, le- Peter, Peter the shepherd already showing his leadership among the twelve. They wrestle with this. But they have to say, if he's the Holy One, none of this really makes sense. We don't understand how it is, but we're staying. We have decided to stay. And that same choice is given to us. 
The Eucharist is a hard teaching. It is a difficult thing to consider that a man who is ordinary in so many ways has the ability to say a few words and God is made present in flesh that used to be bread on the altar. It is scandalous. This is why so many people wrestle to believe. That's why crowds left when our Lord said these things. That's why crowds sometimes, whenever we tell them, you know, a lot of our Protestant brothers and sisters, we, can, we have a lot of common ground and we can, we can have a lot of things in morality and, and, and kind of living a Christian life, belief in the one true God and all kinds of things. But very often, one of the, one of the key stumbling blocks is the Eucharist. It is the body and blood of Jesus. Period. It's not a sign, it's not a symbol, it's his flesh. And if we would have eternal life, we must eat and drink it. And if it is the flesh of Christ, we adore and we worship. These are hard sayings for people. And yet, we're called to decide about them. Do we believe or not? If not, I would encourage you to ask the Lord to help you to believe. And if you believe, stay firm in it and remember these things. Oftentimes when we face the fact of the Eucharist, our feelings can come into play here too and seek to sway us away from our belief, to sway us from our convictions. Sometimes it may happen that we get used to receiving Holy Communion this particularly happens with, uh, with cradle Catholics uh, who are just kind of uh, used to the situation or uh, those converts to the faith. Uh, sometimes after a number of years, uh, we'll kind of get comfortable in things, right? We, we get used to the normal flow of, of the situation. And what at first, maybe might after, uh, maybe after a first conversion uh, or a first renewal of our spiritual life, what might be a, a, a wonderful and tremendous experience of receiving Holy Communion it is not uncommon that I've seen people weep with joy at receiving the sacrament. That they are just in awe of the mystery that comes down to them. And yet sometimes our hearts can grow a bit cold. The Eucharist can seem a bit normal to us. We can feel sometimes that maybe I don't know if, if anything's really happening. And we can begin to doubt the faith doubt the Eucharist, to doubt that it is Christ. And the evil one can come and simply whisper in our ear that if we don't really feel him, maybe he's not really there. Sometimes we can also get in trouble when our feelings simply take over of trying to either keep us, keep us from receiving communion or forcing us to receive communion. Those feelings arise within our hearts sometimes when we, we, feel, we feel for some reason that we are, I just don't feel like I'm worthy to receive Holy Communion. We can be in a state of grace, have gone to confession recently, have fasted, and that all the other things that sometimes the evil one likes to come and say, no, you're really not worthy to receive this. Who are you to do this? Who, who are you? Right? The accuser comes and begins to accuse us in our hearts. And how the evil one loves for us, simply because we feel like we're unworthy. All of us are unworthy, by the way. But when we feel it sometimes in our emotions, we may decide 
I'm not going to go to communion today. I don't, I, I don't feel. I don't feel like it. And we stay away from the grace of our Lord. On the other end of things, there are sometimes when a soul is in a state of grave sin. When a soul is, has, a person has committed mortal sin, the fact is that the soul is, uh, the soul is, is separated from God, not by his choosing, but by ours, by our own actions. And sometimes it can happen that a person will feel guilt. They will feel that sorrow. They will feel that separation from God initially after having committed mortal sin. But sadly, sometimes they will go two weeks, maybe three weeks or a month, and then they don't feel so guilty anymore and presume that things are okay again. And they should resume the practice of Holy Communion, even if they haven't gone to confession. They feel like they should. Here, too, a great caution is to be given. When we come to fight to Holy Mass, it is not simply our feelings that compel us. It is our faith. It is the act of the will. It is the consent of the mind and the heart to be able to follow Christ. The evil one loves to seek to pull us away from the grace of our Lord or to allow us to receive Holy Communion when we are not properly prepared. The evil one loves these things. And so he seeks to pull us either away or to make us to receive unworthily. When we have feelings about the Eucharist in a particular way, it is important for us to reflect upon them, not just upon how we feel, but also what Mother Church teaches, as well as the truth of our experience in life. To remember the things that God has done. If our heart has grown cold and we don't feel Holy Communion, it's not always a bad thing. Sometimes it may be, but it's not always such. And it's to recognize and remember the times when our Lord was present to you in a felt way, in a sensible way. And to be mindful of this. To continue to receive in faith, even if we don't feel it within our hearts. To draw close to Him. Again, there are many things that can arise within our lives that are feelings, emotions, but they are not the end for which we are to follow things. It is to choose. To choose with our mind, formed by Christ and His Church. To choose with our will, to allow our whole heart to consent to things. It is what Joshua has demanded, it is what Paul has demanded of the Ephesians and of us, and it's what our blessed Lord has asked of us, particularly today. To choose. Do we believe or not?